0: Well, do you know that there are quite a few strange apps out there that you can get for your phone to help you through your life? And so I did a bit of a search to see what are some of the options I might have if I want to add a few apps to my phone, and I came across a couple very interesting ones. One is called the most useless app ever and there are actually reviews of it, so people have actually downloaded this app, and the whole point of the app is that there's a button that says, push this button, and when you do, nothing happens. (laughs) So if you want that, go and get that for your phone, I guess. Maybe if you have a toddler who likes to push buttons over and over again, I guess that's what it's for, I don't know, but another strange app that's out there was one that's called the Spirit Story Box. And these app makers have found a way for you to converse with the spirits. I don't know how they did it. It's pretty amazing, right? You can type in your question, and there's like swirly colors and little gibberish words, and then there's an answer. So somehow, you know, I don't know if anyone actually believes that the app makers have figured that out. But there's there's that app out there, and one of my favorite ones was the decision making app the decision maker. So I downloaded this app. I'm like, I've got to see what this is. And these people have made a variety of choices for you to help make decisions. So if you're uncertain about anything, really, you can spin the wheel by clicking on your phone and it will give you an answer. So I actually asked the app if I should read my Bible this morning. There was a should I, dot, 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 and then this wheel of answers. And as I'm watching it spin, what is it gonna tell me to do? It said, why would you? That was the answer. I thought, okay, wow, what if we were going with this, right? And so I just tried again. I thought, well, what if um, I asked the app, like, should I eat breakfast this morning? And it was like, no. You know, so it's like, okay, so I didn't have breakfast and I didn't read the Bible this morning. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't follow that, right? But this, the makers of this app, they think, You know, there are people out there who are uncertain. They don't have clarity. They don't know what they should do. And so we're going to provide them with the answers. So when they don't know where to go to eat or what color of clothes they should wear or whatever it might be, they have a click away to give them direction. Well, it got me thinking, is there an app that would give me direction for God's will in my life? Is there a this is God's will for you app. And so I searched for that. And guess what? I found it. I found an app and it is called the Bible. (laughs) I know you probably have it already on your phone, right? When we're uncertain about what God's will is for our life, we don't turn to a decision-making app or anything else but we turn to God's Word and today we're gonna actually look specifically at God's will for our life as found in the this passage of Scripture and it is so clear and so easy to understand but we're hopefully gonna dive deeper to understand what God's will is for us better and so today I'm gonna give you three keys in living out God's will So if you haven't turned already to 1 Thessalonians, turn there with me, 1 Thessalonians 5, and we know we're coming towards the end of this book, right, and the passage that you've studied this week is just kind of rapid fire instructions kind of at the end, do this, do this, do this, it's just over and over, there's a huge list of things that we're to be called to do as Christians, but we're gonna focus in on just a few things this morning, but we see verse 12, He talks about respecting leadership in our church. Verse 13, making sure you're at peace with one another. 14, help and encourage and admonish those who are weak and in need. Verse 15, don't repay others with evil, but make sure that you do good to one another. And then we hit our beautiful section of verses this morning. In verse 16, it says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And every commentary that you read says that phrase, this is the will of God, it refers to all three of the things in the previous verses. It's connected with that whole little section there. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. And if we do these three things, we can be certain that we are living God's will each day as we live out these instructions given to us here. So the first key we're gonna look at is found in the first verse, and it's two short words that says rejoice always, but I've put it this way for point number one, choose joy no matter what happens. If you and I want to live in line with God's will, we need to make sure that we choose joy no matter what happens. Well, the Holman Bible Dictionary defines joy as this, a state of delight and well-being that results from knowing and serving God. A state of delight and well-being that results not from anything else that we can find in our life, not from our circumstances, not from anything we've just received on earth, not from our children, not from any of those things, but from knowing and serving God. It is, some, it is not something people can create by their own efforts. When we become Christians, this sort of joy is given to us as we become saved and we have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You can think about the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, second one right there. That's given to us as believers that the Holy Spirit might work this out in our lives as we choose to have this joy from knowing and serving God, not from the things that are going on around us. And so really, joy then is focused on the eternal rather than the temporal, right? Christian joy is found in the eternal, the things that God is doing in our lives and around the world are standing before him, that is where this joy is focused. It's not on the temporal, it's not on things that come and go in this life. And, you know, kind of something to illustrate what that type of joy or happiness might be is when you see a kid open up a toy, right? They've been asking for this one thing, they need it, they want it so bad, and they finally get it. And you can see just that joy, the happiness on their face. They're so excited. They can't wait to play with it. They go to bed with it. Oh, they just love their new stuffy. And then what happens a week later? They don't even know where the stuffy is. Or maybe if it's a good toy, it lasts a month or maybe a year, right? And then it's like, what what toy, you know? That does not give them lasting joy. That's, that's something different. That's what the world is seeking after, and that's what we were likely seeking after before we were Christians. We wanted happiness, but it was based on what was going on around us, not based on our relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, the second part of this little phrase here says, always, and as we see in the Greek, it means, at all times or always, so pretty clear right there, but this means that whether you're headed to the hospital to visit a new baby, the joy you can have as you rejoice and say, oh Lord, what a precious baby that you've given this family, or whether you're headed to the hospital to visit someone who's sick or ill. In both those circumstances, we're called to have joy or whether or not you're looking at your bank statements online and you're just sitting back and saying, wow, God, you have blessed me financially. This is amazing, what am I gonna do with this extra? Where should I give this money? What should I do with what you've given me? Or whether you're looking at your bank statement going, how am I going to pay for this next item that our family needs? How are we gonna make it, God? I don't know. We are called to have joy in both the good and the bad, no matter what happens. Well, to see this lived out in an example in Scripture, I want to take you to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. You can turn there if you're quick, or you can listen as I read. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And this is Paul talking about some thorn in his flesh, some something, some either physical or spiritual trial. We don't know exactly what it is. He doesn't say, but something that is harassing him, something that's causing him great pain, suffering. And he asks the Lord, please take this away from me. And yet God says, No, what he says is my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect. And Paul is ready to respond and say, he's gonna boast in his weaknesses, gladly boast. And he also gives us another word to help us really understand that he says, I'm content with these weaknesses and hardships. And content means satisfied in, even take pleasure in. I can be content, I can be satisfied in this trial because I know that God is working through me. I know that this is from God. I know that he will provide what I need. I know that the power of Christ will work in and through my life for the sake of the gospel. Paul can say, I'm content with these difficulties that we know we will have in our life because he trusts in his God. Well, how can we be content in the difficulties that we have in our lives? How can we find joy, not in the circumstances that are going to ebb and flow as we go throughout life, good times and bad, but how can we remain joyful? Well, our joy is rooted in a relationship with God through Christ. So we need to make sure that we are in that relationship, that we have become a Christian that we have that relationship that we can hold on to, that we can turn to, that we are sure of. We can focus our joy on the safety that we have as part of God's family. We've been adopted as daughters into God's family. We can come back to that truth and cling to that promise. We can ground our joy in the work of God because we recognize that He is in control. He's not sitting back I don't know what's going on in your life. Sorry, I wish I could do something here. No, we know from God's word that he is in control and that he has a plan for each of his children. We can base our joy in that. Our joy is not spent on the here and the now, but the then and there. Well, there are great encouragements in God's word for why we should aim for this joy. There are many more, but I just picked out three, so many passages that talk about joy as a Christian. But here are three things that help motivate me to live a joyful life right now, even when things are tough. So the first one I found in Matthew 5:12. it says this, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you we can think about our future reward. We have a reward in heaven. We can rejoice and be glad through persecutions because we know there's a reward coming for us. That's motivating for us to fight for this joy, to choose this joy daily. Hebrews twelve twelve says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. If we maintain joy during difficulties, we are acting like Jesus. We are acting like Christ, our Savior, when we choose to have joy. And the third thing is found in James 1, 2. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's motivating for me to see that when I count it all joy, even through a trial, I know that God is working steadfastness in my life. I am being sanctified. I am being grown to be more like Jesus. I can see this joy that I I fight for when it's hard as spiritual growth. God's producing a work in me, and that's motivating. Well, we have to balance this as well with being honest and being real, because there are difficulties in life, there are hard times, and even in 1 Peter, it says that we will at times be grieved by the trials. Even though we need to still maintain our joy, says that we will often be grieved, there will be sadness, there will be difficulties as we face this life. And so as we seek to hang on to this joy that's rooted in the eternal, we can be honest with those around us, right? Our sisters in Christ, we need to be able to say, look, I am in need, I am struggling, I do need your help. Come alongside me. Would you pray with me? Would you help me to fight for this type of joy? Because this trial, it's tough. You know, we don't want to walk in here and say, everything's fine. No, everything's fine. When we really are struggling, God has given us the body of Christ to lean on. We see all these one another's throughout scripture. So we're called as Christians to do the one another's with our fellow sisters. And so as we seek this joy, when we need that help, of course we turn to God. Of course we turn to his word, but we also want to to be authentic and share with one another that we need the support of our Christian sisters. Well, another reason that we often lose joy or struggle to find it is that we don't talk to God, right? That we don't come to God with our struggles, with our our working out this, how do I find this joy, right? We don't come and talk to him. We may go all a variety of other places rather than to the feet of Jesus. And that's where our passage takes us and the next key to know and to live out God's will. And I've written it down this way for point number two. We are to pray on the go. You and I are to pray on the go. The passage says pray without ceasing. Well, how many things do you think you do as a woman on the go? I think you do a lot, right? I was, I was actually thinking about this verse and as I had a baby on one side and I was doing dishes, I think at the time, or trying to cook, he wasn't feeling well, and then I was talking to another kid, you know, make sure you pick up your shoes, and then something falls and I scoop it up with my foot and I try to grab it, you know. It's like, how many things am I, go, am I doing just as I'm going about my day? Right, we love to multitask. We can do so many things as we go about our day. And this passage of scripture tells us that prayer, that communication with God should be something that we do every day throughout our day. The word without ceasing or the phrase without ceasing sometimes is a little bit confusing because you think when you hear that phrase, you might think, I need to be praying every moment of every single day without ceasing, without stopping, but it actually is better defined as recurring or continually or ongoing conversation. And that's why I've found the on the go. Just throughout the day, it's a continual thing that you do. Not every second, not every moment, but it's a regular part of your day. And it makes me think of this uh, drip that we have in our new house coming out of our faucet. This drip that we have that we need to get fixed, I know, but we aren't yet. It's coming out, not regularly. It's not like, this drip is not one of those drip, drip, just every second or whatever. It's kind of one of those, we get a drip, we get a drip, drip, and then a few seconds later, another drip, right? It's, it's going on all day though. Whenever I'm in the restroom, I see it, I hear it, and it's actually started to remind me of prayer. That's how our prayer life should be throughout our days. We're sending up a prayer. We're asking God for help. We're confessing our sin. We're thanking God, we're worshiping him. As we go about our day, and this word for prayer here is the broadest word that they have in the Bible for prayer. It doesn't just mean our supplications, asking of God, but it includes intercessions for others. It includes worship, praise, confession, thanksgiving. It includes all of the prayers, the types of prayers that we may come to God with. Well, I think our culture prays sometimes, do they not? But they pray very differently. And even before I was a Christian, I remember all of my prayers were basically the same. God, help me. Help me get an A on this test, even though I haven't studied right? Or help me, this is a really hard time. Or, oh, help me. It was all about helping me. It was kind of a selfish focused prayer, right? I just call out to him whenever it was convenient. But this is different. This is a relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father, where we realize our total dependence on him. And I think that's a key in praying throughout our days, is our understanding that we are Completely dependent on God for everything. He's not just there for us to uh, help me fix this. He is there because he provides us everything we need, life and breath, the Bible says, wisdom. The Bible says help, strength. The Bible says that God provides us with our spiritual growth. He's working in us. So, When we wanna pray this way, we need to realize that we are totally dependent on God. We need to rely on Him and trust in Him and turn to Him. And when we see who we are and we compare that to who God is, that really helps us to understand that we need to be in conversation with Him all the time. As we are tempted to sin, we talk to Him. As we see a sister struggling, we send a prayer for her as we're confused and we need wisdom. We don't know what God's word says in in a certain area. We ask him of it right then and there. It's our first line of defense. It's our first place that we turn to is speaking to God because we know we depend and rely on him humbly for everything. John 15, four through five says this, abide in me and I in you As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We are to abide with Christ. We're supposed to have that connection, that relationship, where we recognize he's the source and the giver and we come to him in humble dependence because we know apart from him, we can do nothing. And as I was thinking about this prayer and a model of prayer, I, I couldn't help but think about a few different Christians throughout history, but one name that keep coming to mind was George Mueller. Maybe you've heard some stories about him before, about his amazing prayer life. And there's a common story that we've heard about the bread and the milk being supplied, oh, that's just a motivating, but I found more from his life that I wanna share with you today. Says this, it was an extremely foggy day in the Atlantic sea when the captain of the ship felt a tap on the shoulder and there was Mr. Mueller telling him that he needed to arrive on time for his speaking engagement. It is impossible, the captain said. Mueller responded, God will find me another means of travel to get me there on time. Now he's in the middle of a ship, he's on a ship in the middle of a sea. You know, God will find me a different way to get there. Captain's looking around. Well, he says, I'm willing to help you, but how can I? I am helpless. George Mueller's response was simple, let us pray. At this point, the captain says he thought George was a lunatic. (laughs) <laughs> he's like he doesn't really understand the density of the fog we can't get through this fog we can't see where we're going we don't know what we, we can't do anything we're helpless Mueller responded to his concerns and said my eye is not on the density of the fog but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life there mr. Mueller got on his knees and prayed a simple yet profound prayer that went like this "O oh Lord If it is consistent with thy will, please remove this fog in five minutes. You know the engagement you made for me in Quebec Saturday, and I believe it is your will, amen. Well, after he had finished, the captain of the ship says that he felt like he should probably pray at this point. So as he begins to kneel, George stops him and says this. First, you do not believe he will, and second, I believe he has and there is no need whatever for you to pray about it. Captain, I have known my Lord for 47 years, and there has never been a single day that I have failed to gain an audience with the King. Get up, Captain, and open the door, and you will find that the fog is gone. I got up, and the fog was gone, and George arrived to his speaking engagement on time on Saturday. And I just love that There's a situation in his life, and he goes directly to let us pray. Let me go before the king. He hears my prayers. He's listening, and I'm going to pray that it is God's will that he would do this work in my life, that he would get me to my speaking engagement. And did you catch the wonderful line of dependence that he says to the captain? Let me say it again for you. My eye is not on the density of the fog, and you could insert anything there, right? What are you going through? My eye is not on this, whatever it is, whatever trial, whatever roadblock it is, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. That's an amazing dependence on the Lord that we need to have as we pray throughout our day. Well, the question arises, I'm sure in your mind, how do I do this? How do I live this out today? How do I begin to pray throughout my day? And I wish there was a formula or a step-by-step list I could give you because I love them, but there is not. But I've taken a few principles from scripture that I can see will help us to pray more to the Lord as we go about our day. The first one is discipline prayer times. Because I'm talking about the -the on-the-go prayer as you go throughout your day, which is different than the focused, quiet time with the Lord when we're reading our Bibles and we're praying to Him through our lists, we're coming to Him in the morning or whatever it is, like that quiet time that we talk about. That is a different time. But when we do that, when we set aside time to really talk with the Lord and pray through our lists, that is gonna fuel our prayers throughout the day as we begin in a connection with the Lord, as we begin talking to him about everything, that will help us to pray throughout our day in this way. Another would be intake of the word itself. As we take in the word and not just read it, but study it and memorize it and think about it, we can pray the Bible right back up to the Lord as we have that on our minds. That's gonna help us to pray throughout our days. I think another thing would be that we quickly confess sin. Because I know when I've sinned against the Lord, there's a, I've kind of put up a barrier between me and him. If I haven't come to him and confessed and repented, then I'm not as likely to pray throughout my day because I know I've, I've really, I've sinned against him and I have, I've left it undealt with. And so we need to make sure that we are quick to confess the sin that we see in our lives and that we can continue that humble dependence on God. And last but not least, prayer alarms. I do think that that is a specific way that you can help yourself to remember to pray throughout the day, even to get you in the habit. And if you've been around Karlyn Fabares for any length of time, you know that her phone is going Every few minutes, there's an alarm that she's set. And it's such a good example to me. I think I need to have these alarms for the people I want to pray for, for the ministries I want to pray for, because that gets our focus if we're busy doing something else, back talking with the Lord and depending on Him. Well, even when we talk to God like this, we may not get the things that we ask of Him because we are asking selfishly. We may be coming to him just with a focus on what we would like to get from him rather than a focus on worship, praise, and thanksgiving to him. And this is where our passage turns for the last key in living out God's will. And I've put it this way for point number three. Point number three says, thank God in the ups and downs. You and I, we need to thank God in the ups and downs. This makes me think about a roller coaster. And I was, when I was young, I was a, kind of a risk taker, and I loved roller coasters. I would get on them, you know, the hands would be up. And I don't know what happens after you have babies. Well, a lot of things happen after you have babies, right? A lot of changes. But one change, supposedly the ear or the hormones, I don't know. I haven't, I've had a few people tell me different things. But I got on a roller coaster recently with my nine-year-old, and it like... It took me out. I couldn't, I could hardly function. All of a sudden, I mean, my whole head is confused. I mean, I felt just pretty terrible. But a roller coaster, the fun of that is the ups and the downs, right? A roller coaster that goes like this, not very exciting, right? But instead we have these high peaks and these deep drops. And, and I think about that in relation to this verse. You're gonna have high peaks of your life You may be climbing one right now. You might be at the top where things are going so well. Everything is wonderful. It's easy for you to thank God because you can look around at your life and think, wow, this is amazing, God. Thank you. And yet we know there's times when we are coming down that coaster. We're coming down that mountain or we might be even at the bottom of the dip. Everywhere we turn, it seems like there's a relational problem or there's a financial issue or... You're just not getting along with your boss. You've lost your job or whatever it might be, right? And we're down, we're down at that dip. And likely we will come back up and we will be in the up or we may be in between. But this verse says that no matter where we're at, we need to make sure we're thanking God. We're giving thanks to him in all circumstances, both the ups and the downs of life. Well, the pagan culture in which the readers of this letter in Thessalonica, they, they would have seen a different t- type of thanks really to, about the people around them. And thanks was given often to the gods, but it was given very differently than what we're talking about here. You know, the pagan culture there, they would maybe bring a gift to the sun god who'd bless their crops, but they would bring that gift and set it at the altar And the whole goal and motive behind that was to have a good or a blessing given back to them. Right? I'm going to go give this gift to my God. I'm going to give him thanks. But really, I'm coming because I hope he's going to bless me in return. The law of reciprocity worked in this instance. It was like, maybe if I give this, I'm going to get something back. I'm going to get more. And that's not what we're asked to do as Christians. We're not to just thank God as like a teenager would do, right? Where they come in and say, thanks, mom, for this amazing meal. And you do so much for the family. Oh, what a great mom you are. Hey, can I go to the movies? You know, right? It's like the buttering up. That's, that's not the type of thanks that we're called as Christians. We're supposed to thank God for all the good and all the difficult. Right it's much easier of course to thank God for the good things but we're called to thank God even through the trials even through the difficulties because we have a bigger picture in mind we see that God is working a bigger picture than just the moment or the circumstance we're in and i want to take you to a passage or maybe you're so familiar with it that you you know it it's on your heart but i Every single point in this sermon I've wanted to go to this passage because I do think it ties these three things so well together but that is Romans 8:28. Romans 8:28 just keeps coming to mind as we're seeking to have joy to be praying and to especially give thanks and it says this. We know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For the Christian, we can claim and cling to this truth that all things work together for good in our life. And good does not mean good like pleasurable or good in the sense of what we might want to be good, what we would say is good. But the good talked about in this passage is the sense that we're becoming more like Christ. We're becoming more like his son and the good is also that he's working out his eternal purposes in our life. There is a God that we can trust, that he is working good in our lives, even in the downs. God is in control, he is worth trusting and nothing escapes his notice and everything is in his power and under his plan. So we can trust him. We can cling to this promise in the downs that even when we're at a low point and things are difficult, we can say, God, I know that you are working this for good in my life. I can't see the whole picture. I don't know all the things you're doing in my life and the lives of those around me, but I trust that you, God, are working it for good in my life. And because of that, I can thank you for it. I can thank you when I don't even have the answer, when I don't even know exactly what it is you're trying to teach me, God. I still can cling to the fact that you are in control and that you are working good in my life. Well, if you don't see this type of regular thanksgiving given to God throughout your day, in prayer, in sit, when you sit and you talk to God, as you speak with others. If you don't see this type of thanksgiving, there may be a few reasons why, and I'm sure that the list is long, but a few came to mind. One might be that you doubt God's plan. It is hard for you to be thankful for his plan when it's difficult if you are a person that doubts, that doubts that God is in control and that he does have a plan. That may hinder you from thanking him, and so if that's you, if you realize that you doubt, you need to talk with someone and figure that out because when we can trust him rather than doubt, question his choices, we can thank him for what he's doing even when we don't understand. Maybe it's hard for you to thank God in all circumstances because you've developed a critical attitude, just a negative spirit. And I have four children and one particularly seems to just view life like it's half empty. It's not quite living up to the standard, it's not quite. And so often, this morning in fact, I said, give me 10 things you are thankful for and say no more words about this. And at the end of 10 things, amazing. I said, what, what, what are you focused on now? We're, we're talking about thanking God for the blessings rather than this negative, maybe critical attitude that colors everything. It's gonna be hard for us to thank God when we view everything in kind of a negative light. Maybe it's just a focus on worldliness. Maybe it's hard for you to thank God or you don't see this type of regular thanks because really you're, you're focused on the things around you. Really, that's what's giving you joy. That's what's giving you a cause to praise. If you're getting the things that you want within your family or the stuff or the whatever it might be, that's where your eyes are set. And instead, they need to be set on God, what He's doing, thanking Him, giving Him the worship and the praise, even when the things that you see that you'd like aren't going the way that we want. So we need to work through and confess those things to him so that we can thank him regularly. But a Christian who strives for this type of thanksgiving, they're gonna see joy, right? It fuels the joy. When they can come to the Lord and thank him, both the good and the bad, we're gonna see more joy grow in their life. They're gonna grow in their godliness, You and I will grow to be more like Christ as we thank God and keep our eyes on worship and praise and thank Him for what He's doing. Well, how can we grow in our thankfulness? I think one is that we study God. Yes, we study the Bible, of course, but we study God specifically. Who does God say that He is? What are His attributes? What are the things that He says about Himself that I can learn and understand and know better? And so. You know, that could be diving into the Bible on your own, or there's amazing books written on the attributes of God, really knowing who God is. And when we see who God is, we're going to thank him. Wow, God, you are this. You said you're holy. You said you're sovereign. You said you're good. You're merciful. And when we think of those things, we can thank him. Maybe as well, we begin simply our prayers both on the go and prayers in our quiet times, thanking God. That's gonna orient our heart in the right way when we come to him and before we ask of what we might need or what we would like, we just thank him. And the list is long for the things that we could thank him for, but we come to him and say, God, thank you for this. And then we turn to what we would need. That would help us to keep a focus on thanksgiving to God in the ups and the downs to begin our prayers with thanks and to end our prayers with thanks. Well, I hope you see how connected these three commands are. And I actually created a graphic as I was thinking about this. And I was talking to my husband. I said, you know what? This is an amazing passage because the three keys that we talked about today, they're so connected. And so I'm going to have them put it up on the screen. It's nothing phenomenal, but... I do think it helps to motivate and encourage me to do and live out these things. Because when we seek joy, if we just started there, when we're living to have joy in our life, and that's a focus, it's going to motivate us to pray more. And that prayer is going to motivate us as we pray to thank God more. Or if we begin to work on thanks in our life, and we start there, as we give thanks to God, and we're thanking Him for the blessings and the difficulties, that, in turn, fuels our joy. And that joy then, as we're happy in what God's doing, as we're thankful, that fuels our prayer. And I just see that these three things are so interconnected. As we work on one, as we implement one, and God calls us to implement all three, right, in this passage, but as we work on one, it's actually going to fuel the next thing. It's going to fuel the next thing. They're so connected because as we're joyful, we're going to want to thank Him. We're going to want to pray to Him. And so I just think that as we wrap up this passage and as we seek to live this out, we can be motivated and encouraged to do this because these, these are connected. These are going to help. One is going to help the other, and we're going to see great growth and blessing when we work to live out these keys. Well, I hope that you are encouraged to choose joy no matter what happens, to pray on the go as you go about your day and to give thanks in both the ups and the downs as you seek to live out God's will for you in your life. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this simple, concise passage in scripture that we can read and understand that you desire for us as Christians to be women of joy to root our joy in the eternal things that you are doing, in our salvation, in our relationship with you, in your kingdom work, God. Help us to focus our attention and our gaze on that as we depend on you. And God, I pray as well that we would pray more to you throughout our day, that we would turn less to our friends right away or our phones or the next article that says how we should do this thing, but God, instead that we would seek you, that we would be in prayer, in worship, in thanksgiving, in petition for other people, God. Help us to be women of prayer, women of thanks, that we are coming before you because we know we have an audience with the King and instead of having our eyes on our circumstance, God, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you who is in control. Thank you so much for these women here and I pray that you would give them fruitful discussions today as they seek to live a life that honors you. We pray this in your son's name, amen. Well, you're dismissed to your group.